We're continuing in 2 Timothy, and last week we built a little bit of the background that Paul, who the Holy Spirit is using as a vessel to write this epistle, he's in a, a dungeon. He's in prison. And he's sharing with Timothy these final things for the ministry, the equipping of the saints, knowing that his time is coming near, that this is it. This is what he has. This is the final moments, the, the, the countdown, if you will. And me, this second chapter is just right up my alley, and you're going to see it as we go through the different verses. But what we're really going to look today at is the difference between real ministry and counterfeit ministry. They look the same. You know, a counterfeit dollar wants to imitate a real dollar as much as possible, but it has no value. It's fake. One ministry, we can see the same things. We can see someone that may have the appearance. It may look like it's the real thing, but it has no value to God, no value to the kingdom. There should be nothing that should terrify us more than counterfeit ministry. Well, let's begin here in verses 1 through 7. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer must, first, must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. I mean, come on, this is like all my favorite things. Soldiering, working, farming, blue collar. Ah, yes. Thank you. Calloused hands is what he's talking about here. And you don't see this in many promise books that you see over at the Walmart aisle. You know, you got the one book of promises from God and they're all flowery. You don't really see you must endure hardship. He's talking to a, a minister. He's talking to a pastor now. He's saying, look, look things are going to be tough. In America, unfortunately, intentionally or unintentionally, we have made the Christian walk about how to make yourself comfortable, how to make yourself feel good. That God loves you? Yes, He does. God wants the best for you? Yes, He does. But then what we do is we add, and if He does, He will bless you. And we've made coming together as a a fellowship about this blessing a material blessing, not a spiritual blessing. Let me differentiate. Because God does want to bless every, every one of us. He loves His children. But this isn't about our earthly comfort. Although we will receive comfort and blessing in, com- in, in many things. God is the God of all comfort, the Bible says. But this isn't about a Christian walk, about fixing your marriage or having good finances. And this isn't about um, raising godly kids. And this isn't about uh, ten ways 
to be a better Christian. This isn't about tithing. This isn't about building buildings. This isn't about any of those things. It is about loving and serving God, and then all those things kind of fall into place, fruits of the Spirit. This, this isn't about you and me. This is about God. This is about Jesus and His plan for redemption. We have made church all about the people instead of making church all about the God of the people, the creator of the people. And our focus just kind of turns to the wrong place. And so Paul is saying here to Timothy, Timothy, you must endure. You must be a soldier. You must work hard. You must be a farmer. And what do these guys do? I mean, take a farmer, for example. He gets up early every morning, whether he wants to or not, and he's got to milk the cows. Every morning, whether it's vacation, Thanksgiving, Christmas, summer, every single day he has to get up and he has to sow those seeds. And you can't plant a garden and leave it alone. If you do, you get nothing but weeds. You got to be faithful to hoe it and water it and wait and hoe it some more, make sure there's no weeds in there again, and just constantly faithful every day with no return. There's no return. I think about it. If you were to plant corn, for example, and you have hundreds and hundreds of acres of corn, and you start and you make the soil uh, ready to plant, you till it, you break it up, you plant the seeds, you water it, you make sure all the weeds are gone, you spend all that time and all that energy through the whole, all the seasons, wet, rainy, hot, whatever, and right as you're about to harvest the day before, a hailstorm comes in and wipes it all out. You get no return. It meant nothing. Start over. And what's that farmer going to do? He's going to go back out there, and he's going to till that soil, and he's going to start the whole thing all over again. It's something that is so rare in our culture. Delayed gratification. Delayed gratification. We want instant gratification. If I order a number two, I don't even want to leave my car. I want to go through the drive-thru. And if they make me wait five minutes, I'm honking on the horn. I want instant gratification. My wife won't let me honk the horn, although I try. It's not so. Ministry and service, true ministry, it's not counterfeit. It takes long nights, early mornings, plucking weeds, enduring hardship, and nobody knows. And what is it for? Is it for me to feel great? For you to feel great? No. Delayed gratification, knowing that the reward I am going to receive when I'm face-to-face with Jesus Christ is going to supersede it all. It'll all be worth it. I'm stuck in a spot, but before I leave this and continue, just for a moment, when you go before the Lord, that, that first moment you enter the kingdom of God, you're before Jesus Christ, he says, well done, my good and faithful servant for those that have been faithful. You're never going to look at him and say, man, this was a poor investment. This was a poor choice. I really should have enjoyed myself more. I really should have had more comfort. I should have sacrificed and got the bigger house instead of sacrificing personal time with the Lord. I shouldn't have talked about Jesus so much because the ridicule wasn't worth what I'm going to receive now. Of course not. And that's what Timothy, or excuse me, Paul is saying. At the, he's at the edge. He's at the cliff of his life. 
Behind him is his earthly life, and before him is eternity, his eternal life. He says, Timothy, Timothy, endure. Endure, my son in the faith. So let's continue in verses 8 through 13. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. Verse 10, Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. With, with eternal glory. Verse 11, This is a faithful saying, For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Notice the focus changes. It changes from Timothy being the object. Now it changes to Jesus because you cannot endure hardship without Jesus. True ministry cannot exist without Jesus. You cannot have delayed gratification in ministry if you are not personally seeking the Lord. If you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then you are going to be looking for your gratification, your comfort, your encouragement from someone else. And it's either going to be the people that you're serving, or it's going to be your work, or it's going to be your spouse. It's going to be something else where you're going to receive that positive feedback and you will be limited. But as we learned on Sunday morning, if you look to God, you can do the impossible. Because to do a supernatural work, you need a supernatural God. And as natural people, like we said on Sunday, we can only accomplish what's natural. And if you are constantly persecuted or constantly ridiculed or constantly put down or constantly humbled or working in the background, you cannot do that. Your human nature, you cannot do that. But you can if you have a strong personal walk with the Lord because He's encouraging you. He's feeding you. He's blessing you. Because even though Paul is suffering, what does he say in Philippians? He counts it all joy and that he can do all things through Christ, whether he's abased or whether he abounds. How can he do it? Through Christ. And now the focus here is on Jesus. Real ministry and a fundamental foundation cannot exist without your personal hand-in-hand walk with Jesus Christ. And if you're struggling in a tough area, I will always, as a pastor, I will go to that first. How is your personal walk with the Lord? Or I'll say, what's the Lord been showing you? Or I'll say, what have you been reading, lady? These are all hints for those of you that are serving with me and have you spent some time with Jesus? What I'm really saying because I'm kind of these blue-collar guys here. What I'm really saying is, why, why are you coming to me? Let's go to the boss. We'll go together, shall we? Let's go, to, let's go to the man that can heal you. I can't heal you. I can't comfort you. I can't raise you up. I can't strengthen you. I can't make you a better person. I can't make you a better servant. I can't make you a better leader. I can't make you happier. I am a waiter. And if, and if you're coming to the table, and I'm coming to you as a pastor, as a minister, I'm just bringing you what's from the kitchen. Let's go to the cook. Well, you want something special? I'll go to the cook. He'll do it. 
You want to come with me to the cook? Go ahead. Let's go to the kitchen together. And that's what real ministry does. Focuses on Jesus. Real ministry focuses on Jesus. Counterfeit ministry may look like it focuses on Jesus, but a counterfeit ministry has Jesus as a mascot. He's just kind of in the background. He's just something they kind of point to. Real ministry and real service, Jesus is the fundamental center of every single step that we take together. Whether you're greeting, you're a janitor, whether you're in a board meeting, whether you're the pastor, if Jesus is not center and fundamental in every portion of our walk, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Even the Word of God itself is speaks, the Bible says, the volume of the book is written of him. But it even goes farther. See, he said here that the Word of God is not chained. What does he mean by that? You know that in, in Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent way than they. You can sum all that up in this one verse, in John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, all the worlds, all of the universe was created and upheld through Jesus Christ, through the Word of God, your Bible. Spending time in your Bible, spending time at the foot of Jesus. The Bible is unchained. The Word of God is not chained. When, when you think of the Word of God is not chained, I think of that, that nasty dog that's been in that neighborhood. You know, maybe you had one growing up. Maybe you got one that's next door all right now. I don't know. But there's that one dog that every time you walked by it, or maybe you were a kid and you were riding on your bike, that it would just ram. And it would get to the end of that chain, Right? And you're like, oh gosh, the chain better hold. The chain better hold. The chain better hold. And then all of a sudden it would jerk it out. With that power, that same force, you know, that's minutia compared to just one word from the Word of God, which is eternal. And it's unchained. It doesn't stop. It's powerful. It'll transform your life. It'll transform your ministry. It'll transform everything about you. The Word of God is not chained even though Paul himself, at this moment, he's chained. You may feel like you're chained in service or even in your just personal walk. You may feel like, man, I cannot escape whatever it is. And you may feel constricted. You may feel like you can't do anything because of your work or your marriage or your kids or your home or your mortgage or even just you feel like, man, I'm not effective in ministry. You may be chained. Paul couldn't leave his, I'm going to hypothesize, four foot by four foot dungeon. And yet, the word of God was working through him. He was unchained. 
the dividends. That word is eternal. Second Timothy. It's 2016. Here we are going over it. God is not chained. He's not limited. He's not boxed in. And he wants to use you through the word of God, through Jesus Christ. That's the focus here, this portion of this chapter. So he continues in verses 14 through 19. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their their message will spread like cancer. Hymenius and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So you see the, the, the difference between rightly dividing the word of truth, rightly teaching the scriptures, the discipline and the discipleship, and then what he says in verse 16, profane and idle babblings that increase to more ungodliness. They're both a type of ministry. He's not talking about the world. He's talking about what's going on in the church. And he's saying, listen, there's the real deal where the power is, the value, and then there's the counterfeit. It looks like ministry. It talks like ministry. It's got a church building. They got ushers and elders, and they got all this stuff. But it's just profane, idle babblings. It's just a waste of time. There's no power. There's no authority in it whatsoever. It says there in verse 14, not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. That, I mean, to the ruin of the hearers. That should be terrifying. And we've all heard a sermon. We've all heard a, a speech or, you know, something that's supposedly Christian. Just be like, why am I here? I am just wasting my time listening to this. Maybe entertained for a moment, but not equipped to endure. If you ever leave a study, a Bible study, and say, I didn't learn anything about God and I'm not any closer to him, you ha- that's idle babblings. That was just a waste of your time. It should always draw us closer to the Lord. Every time. The volume of the book is written of him. And so if you're teaching from the book and you don't see Jesus, you don't see God, that was a waste of time. That's terrifying as a pastor. I tell you, when you're, when you're teaching the word, and you have a, a relationship with the Lord and you want to please Him, that's constantly my focus. Lord, just help me to glorify you. Lord, just help me to glorify you. We should all have that healthiness. Notice, this isn't written for millennials, is it? Because he's not. this isn't talking about emotion or feelings. This is just flat truth. Hey, you're either teaching the Bible, you're either sharing about God, or you're wasting your time. Oh, that might hurt somebody's feelings now. But that's the truth. And the truth, it sometimes it hurts. And so remember, Timothy is Paul's son in the faith. They're very close. 
And yet Paul's saying, hey, hey, Timothy, you're doing great. Don't mess this up. I'm paraphrasing it for the 21st century. He's saying, listen, you get away from Jesus and you get away from the word of God. If you're not rightfully dividing the word of God, you're wasting everybody's time. Don't ruin this. Shun it. Stay away from it. Remind them. Because listen to this language there in verse 17. Their message will spread like cancer. That mean, that's just as devastating a word in the first century as it is in the 21st century, cancer. As we all can relate. We all can relate. But notice here at the end, verse 19, nevertheless, he says, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Oh, that's a highlight. That's a highlight verse there. Nevertheless, regardless of false teachings and babblings and you know all the entertainment and churchianity out there, The foundation of God, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, this is the seal that cannot be broken. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. If you're faithfully serving God, he knows. He is your rewarder. He's the one who you're looking to please. He's the one that you get your satisfaction, your encouragement from. My help comes from the Lord, the psalmist says. I don't care how crazy the politics gets, how bad the economy, how bad the world seems, how strong our enemies get. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. And the word of God will never return void. It's unchained, he says in the same chapter. It was Voltaire who said, During the French Revolution, he said that the Bible would pass away in 50 years from that time. That was the 1700s. He said in 50 years, the Bible will be obsolete. When Voltaire passed away, a Bible society bought his house and was printing Bibles in his former basement from the place where he said that. The Bible is an anvil where all of the hammers of criticism have worn themselves out over the millennia, and yet the Bible will never pass away. It continues to stand the test. Because nevertheless, regardless of how dim it may seem, is there anyone that could say it was more of a dim future than Paul? But knowing these times, living under the Roman Empire where two-thirds of the people are enslaved, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Who are you serving? Again, are you serving yourself? Are you serving the church? Are you serving man? Are you serving your own expectations? It should be. All of our answers should be we are serving God. It's Paul who would say that he was a slave to God. In Romans 1.1, it says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. The word bondservant means slave. I am owned by Christ. He has my complete, I'm his property. He has complete authority over my mind, my body, and my soul. Whatever he says, I have to do it. I'm compelled to do it. That's what he's saying there. And then he says in Romans 6.16, he says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey? 
whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. We are owned by someone. You're either owned by the enemy in the world. It's commanding you, telling you what to do. Or you're owned by the Lord. He's commanding you. He's telling you what to do. The Lord has liberated us and set us free from sin, death, and the devil. And in doing so, he has given us a choice. And the believer, sometimes we choose to obey the master that no longer owns us. Are you truly serving God? Now, be rest assured, the answer is always going to be no in some area for all of us. There's always going to be an area where we can grow more in our relationship with Christ, so be encouraged. It's the grace of God, the goodness of God that leads man to repentance. Now let's continue in verses 20 through 26. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of God and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may, become, they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. This word servant here again is the word doulos. It means slave. To be a slave. Verse 24, and a slave of the Lord must not quarrel. A servant. To truly be his. And if you're truly his, you've got to do it his way. And you've got to be obedient to him. And you've got to be used by him. And you'll be a vessel of honor or dishonor. A vessel of dishonor is like a broken, a cracked coffee cup. You just toss it. It's good for nothing anymore. Or, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I have, there's daddy's cup at home. I got one cup. I got one cup. I use other coffee cups, you know, but there's one cup that's mine. That's my special cup. What's special about it? I call it special. That's what's special about it. See, the Lord has the same thing. I mean, if you're his and he's working in you and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're his special cup. He's, ex- oh, you're his. But when you want to go your own way, you want to do the things your way, you're the cracked cup. Ah, put that to the side. I'm going to use my special cup over here. The vessel of honor and the vessel of dishonor. There are a lot of counterfeit ministries out there, and though they are filling up, the Bible says those with itchy ears, it tickles their senses, it's what they want. They may be a vessel of dishonor before the throne. And then there are others that maybe they're not drawing the clouds, but they're just faithful. There's lots of them out there. Faithful remnant always, the scripture shows us. 
and they're the Lord's special cup. He's so happy. He's so excited about what's going on in that person's life, that ministry, your, your life. And if you are strong enough to be like a soldier, to be like a farmer, to be like a worker, to be like a waiter, to be like a slave for Jesus, and you, all you're curious, all you're interested in is pleasing him, oh, it's going to be a beautiful relationship. You will be blessed. You will be encouraged. If you're willing to delay your gratification, your instant gratification, and seek after God and be faithful, you humble yourself in the mighty hand of God. In due time, He will exalt you. That does not mean it may be this. It has to be in this world, because Paul said we have a race to run, and we're running to finish that race. We're running to win that race. That race for me is to come into the presence of my master, as Paul says, to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I tell you what he's not going to say. Let's check your membership roles there, Pastor Mike. Ooh, a couple bad years there, huh? Hmm, that didn't work out too well. That is not going to happen. Oh, let's check. Oh, that was a very big building you had there. Mike, I'm very impressed. That's not what's going to happen. He's going to say, if I'm obedient to him and I crucify the, the flesh and its lust thereof, if Paul says, if, I, if I'm able to die to myself and allow him to work, he's going to say, man, Mike, you are my special cup. And when I, I just filled you up and you just poured it out. And I just filled you up and you just poured it. You are my special cup. I got a special place for you. And if that's what you're living for, you are unstoppable. And I'll tell you a secret. It's a secret that uh, Pastor Mark taught me and many uh, faithful men have taught him as a pastor. He said, if you have a people, a fellowship, where your people are reading and they're praying and they're seeking God, you've just solved 90% of the problems in your fellowship. You'll be counseling less. You'll be ministering less. You'll be solving less crisis. The Lord's going to handle all of it. He'll be doing all And you know what? He was absolutely right. And it's just, it's a blessing. It's a complete blessing to serve the Lord and to endure trials with Him, to delay gratification with Him. Let's pray.